So I've never had one done, mostly because I'm afraid of what it would look like at the end of it. But you see them all the time at like county fairs or along the sidewalks at many, at one of the many festivals that we have here in Reno. It's the caricature artist, right? Where they'll draw a picture of you and, and the better the caricature artist, they will take one of your features and they will accentuate it. And, and that's why I don't want to do it, right? Uh, but the more that they can grab onto one uh, characteristic and, and really make it stand out, uh, that's what makes them better. And so you can probably look at some of these, and these are real-life pictures. These are characters, but you, you know who they are, right? Starting at the left, who's that? Maybe that one you don't know. King. King Charles, right? Uh, middle, Will Smith, right? Clint Eastwood, right. Uh, so doesn't look like them in real life, but yeah, some character caricature artist was able to draw. Well, today, you are going to be the artist. We're going to be the artist. And we're going to get to draw God. So, brought the marker. All right, what do we want to draw? Light? All right, it's done. Right? It's done. Uh, maybe it's a trick question. We can't draw God. Very realistically, God is a spirit, and so you can't put him on a piece of paper. We don't see necessarily who God is, other than when he, he takes on human flesh later on in Jesus. But God, you, you can't draw that picture, and yet it doesn't mean that God doesn't have characteristics worth accentuating. In fact, uh, if we had to draw, if we had to be caricature artists, God himself is really a caricature artist today as he accentuates some of his major characteristics as he defines himself. Today, as you see on the screen, we are, are starting this, this uh, um, four-week worship series called The Church That God Wants. And maybe before we even discuss what that looks like or what that is, we need to understand, well, just who, in fact, is God? And one of the most beautiful uh, verbal sketches that God gives of himself is found in Exodus chapter 34. It is perhaps the most common sketch that God gives of himself, because it, this, this picture that he's going to paint for himself, which accentuates some of his characteristics, gets brought out at least a dozen other times in the Old Testament. Uh, the prophet Jonah refers back to Exodus 34. The prophet Joel refers back to Exodus 34. Nehemiah goes back numerous times from numerous psalm writers. They go back to Exodus 34. But the original... The original picture that, that God draws for us is, in fact, we're going to look at the original today in Exodus 34. And before we look at it, it's maybe helpful to understand a little bit of the backdrop. What's the easel? What's the paper uh, that God uses before he talks about just who he is? Uh, you, you hear that word Exodus, and you maybe think of we, we, uh, the defining moment of the Old Testament. It's one of their biggest deals is that God's people were slaves. 
uh, God's people that he adopted uh, called Israelites. They lived in, in the country of Egypt, and they were enslaved there for centuries. And after a while, God heard their cries, and he says, okay, I'm going to rescue you. And so he, he sends a series of plagues over Egypt to try to loosen the, the grip of the king of Egypt so that he would let God's people go. And finally, when they get to the 10th plague, God says, I'm going to send an angel of death to pass over the land of Egypt. And it's going to pass over the houses of the Israelites. That's where you get the term Passover from, their major holiday. But the Egyptian homes weren't able to escape death. And so the king of Egypt said, go, go. And, and God's people start to flee, uh, probably two million strong at this point. And so they, they start to leave Egypt, and they're going a little bit northeast uh, to a place that God had promised them, a, a land that God had promised them. But after they start leaving, the king of Egypt changes his mind. He says, I can't let those people go. You know, my whole economy is based on them. And so he sends out his army with their chariots, with their horsemen, and they're chasing him. And even though, so Israelites had a, a few days head, head start, and all of a sudden they get to that, that body of water, the Red Sea. And now they're walled in, right? They're, they have the sea in front of them, and they have the enemy army behind them, and they don't know what they're going to do. And it's then that God tells Moses, the leader of his people, put out your arms. And he causes that sea to split in two. And all of God's people are able to walk through on dry ground. And then eventually those, those walls of water come crashing down on the pursuing army. And so here on the other shoreline, you have all of God's people celebrating, you know, having this big festival. And that's when God says, all right, here's the deal. You just saw a demonstration of my love. You know how much I love you. I just delivered you. I want to continue this relationship. I, I want to be your God. I want you to be my people. And so this is what's going to happen. I'm going to give you a set of laws to guide you, to protect you, uh, similar to like what you and I have laws. There's reasons why they put speed limits. It's not just to make our life slow down. It's to protect us, Right? And so God says, I'm going to give you some laws for your benefit of my people. The second reason that I'm going to give you some laws is I want you to be set apart from the rest of the world. I'm going to give you some laws that nobody else has so that people say, hey, what, what's up with that? And you say, well, it's because of my relationship with God. And so that's what Exodus chapter 20 through Exodus chapter 31 is all about. God calls his leader, Moses, up onto a mountain, says, here's all these special laws. But, and Moses is up on that mountain, the people below are getting a little impatient. They're watching their wrists, their watches, and they're like, man, when's he coming back? And then they start to get out their calendars and say, when's he coming back? Because it's, it's not just hours or days but weeks that Moses is up there, 40 days. And finally, they, they, they give up and they say, God must have forgot about us. Who knows where Moses is? And so they turn to Moses' brother, 
a guy by the name of Aaron say, you know what, if we're going up to this new land, can you just make us a God uh, that will follow us, that will lead us, that we can follow? And so, I mean, can you imagine that God has just six weeks ago opened up the sea for you, delivered you from the Egyptians, and now you're so quick to trade them in. But what's maybe even worse is that Aaron, which is Moses, who is Moses' brother, placates them. And he says, all right, give me all your gold. I'll make you a golden calf. And he builds an altar in front of it says, now this is our God. That's going to lead us. That's Exodus 32. If you're God, what do you do? Destroy them? The thought crosses his mind. But he doesn't do that. He had every right to. We get a glimpse of how maybe God could have reacted when you see Moses' reaction. Exodus chapter 33, Moses comes down from that mountain. He sees what's going on. He takes those, those, those laws that God had given to him, written out on stone tablets, and he crushes them. And he takes that golden calf and he pulverizes it into a powder, puts it into their water, and says, drink this as if it's a protein shake, right? And that's Moses' anger. Even though they didn't sin against him, they sinned against God. Imagine what God could have done. And here Moses is. He's supposed to lead these two million people into this new land. And he sees how they've treated God, and and now he is super nervous. I'm the leader of this people, and he's wondering, God, are we all alone now? Are you going to abandon us? God, are you going to go with us into this promised land? And God comes to Moses in Exodus, at the end of Exodus 33, and says, I will. My presence, my presence will go with you. And he calls Moses up again. And he starts all over. And he starts to give this beautiful caricature of just who he is. Now, now why, why have that long setup uh, for Exodus 34? Because I, I think it, it really helps us understand what's going on here. You know, one writer put it this way. He said, the sheer fact that Exodus 34 exists is proof that God is a God of mercy. He could have just closed the door 12 chapters earlier, but he didn't. But now here he is, and God starts to get out his, his pen, his marker, his, his sharpie, and he, he paints, he sketches out this beautiful picture of just who he is. And this is how he starts off. He says, and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children to their children for, and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. And you look at that, that caricature picture that, that God paints of himself, you maybe notice two things. There's there's two ways of looking at that. It's like one of those sketches where if you look at it this way, it looks like this. And if you look at it this way, it looks like that. 
Maybe the most common one, there's like a beautiful woman and an old woman. Not that old women aren't beautiful, that shouldn't be that, but a young woman and an old woman. You ever see that one? All right, you can Google that afterwards. Uh, but but there's, these, there's sketches out there that it depends on how you hold them and what you see. And God shows two pictures here. You see that first verse, you see a God of love. On the second, pic, second half, you see a God of justice. And you need them both. You need them both. If we're here, and you know, it start, that, that break is right there at that word, yet. If we're here today just saying, you know what, it, it doesn't matter what we do. God doesn't care how we act. Whatever you want to do, that's fine. Then the second half of God's picture is what we need, is, is what he's there for. But if we're here today thinking, you know what, I've, I've done something so unforgivable. If I somehow think that I'm disqualified for the kingdom, if somehow I have been blinded to the magnificent mercy of God and I am wallowing in despair, well, then God says here, look at this sketch, which is the first half. Now, the hard thing is, the difficult thing is, there are people here every Sunday who need to see this or this. Or you could say every week we find ourselves with a foot in each camp. We need to see this about God and we need to see this about God. What are we going to deal with today? Uh, Not to take the easy way out, uh, but today uh, I just want to focus in on that first half where we really see God accentuating his, his acts of mercy, his love, his faithfulness. Uh, part of the reason for doing so is, is some of the events that have happened uh, in the congregational life over the last two weeks. Last Sunday I stood up here and I, I shared some rather sad news. I'm good for him, but sad for us as our brother in Christ, uh, Dave McLean, who has you know, entered into glory. And then and then this week, uh, maybe you heard or you saw in the, the weekly email that our, our, at our sister congregation, a, a 16-year-old girl apparently took her life. And, and we don't know. You know, we can ask a whole bunch of questions why those things happen. Uh, you know, was there some undetected mental health issue that was going on in her life? Was there, you know, was there something that clouded her vision of God's, of God's goodness, of God's grace? Was there... Well, did Satan paint for her a caricature of God that wasn't accurate, and that's what she saw? Uh, we can ask a whole bunch of different questions that don't always have answers to them. But what's important for us is that we're to know where do we turn today. Where do we turn when we're in doubt, when we're in despair, when we aren't quite sure of just who God is. What's, what's on the sketch pad? And for that reason, I want to focus in on these opening words of Jesus today, opening words of God. As, as Moses is wondering, God, are you going to go with us? Or are we all alone? God pulls out his marker, and the very first stroke of the pen he just reminds him of who he is. He says, 
the Lord, the Lord. It is not insignificant that he repeats his name because this is the same name that God uses in the Old Testament Bible. We see it all caps in our English Bibles. But it's a, it's a special, it's a personal name for God. It says, I'm invested in you. It's a name that, that really stresses his love and his faithfulness. Very literally, it means I am. And you think about that, what that must have meant to Moses. The very God who revealed himself early on when he called him to be leader and said, hey, I'm the I am God. When he called him from the burning bush, that's what he reminds us from here. I'm still here. I am. You're, you're questioning my presence? No. I am. I'm not just a God who was. I'm not just a God who will be. This is the I am God who's with us today. And then he goes and spells out and t- really accentuates some of these major characteristics of who the I am God is. He, he starts off by saying the compassionate and gracious God. I, I love that word, compassion. It's the same word uh, in the Old Testament that, that they would have used for the womb. <laughs> you know, that, that this isn't some surface level uh, feeling that God has towards his people, but it's a, it's a deep with inside him uh, a type of, of connection that he has to his people. It's the same word. That they, yeah, that, that, that love that, uh, between a mother and a child is what's used here. Uh, that it's, it's, it's so ingrained in God that he, he cannot help but have a connection to you. And while that word is, is used elsewhere for other people, like a mother to a child, uh, the, the second word that's used here is only reserved for God. Gracious. That he looks at his people, he looks at people who are in need, and he says, I can't but help to come to your aid. I mean, what a beautiful couplet for, for Moses to be reminded of, of this picture of God. This is a God who, who loves us with his gut. And he, and he sees us in our need right now. And he goes on to say, and he says, he goes on to give this, this another part of the sketch is that he's slow to anger. Doesn't mean, doesn't say that God doesn't get angry. In fact, he does get angry at sin, but it, it's, it's reminding us here that he, he doesn't have a short fuse. And you put that into the context of what's going on in the Old Testament people right now. You know, they, they just built a golden calf, and God says, I'm slow to anger. And you see that throughout the Old Testament. God's people turn their backs on him. God calls them to repentance. They grumble against God. God calls them to repentance. They, they build a golden calf, want to trade in God. God calls them to repentance. And again, you think of that comfort. That doesn't mean we should try the patience of God, but it reminds us that our, our God isn't there with his sword ready to, to come down on us as soon as we make a mistake. All right, off with your head. But he's slow. Slow to anger. Which really just leads in then to what I would say is the culminating characteristic of God that, that comes over all of these. So that as it goes on to say, he is abounding in love and faithfulness. He's overflowing with love and faithfulness. If, 
If you had to get at the core of God's being, this is it. Elsewhere in the Bible, in fact, it says that. It says, right, God is love. Here it's saying, yes, that's who God is. He bleeds love. If you could look at the the core of, you know, what what defines God, it's that word, love. If you you had to say what makes God true to himself, what's, what's the faithful characterization of him? It's love. And it's abounding. It's overflowing, which really just goes right into that next phrase then, as he's, he maintains love. It's one thing to just love someone for a little bit. But God says, I've got, my love for you is abounding, it's limitless, so my love for you is going to maintain. It's not fickle, it, it endures. And, and as it endures, it doesn't just endure for some people. It says here, it may, he's maintaining love to thousands. He's maintaining love for everybody. He's maintaining love for you. And you can just kind of see this progression here. So if, if that's who God is, if he's slow to anger, if he's abounding in love and faithfulness, if he's maintaining love to thousands, well, then what does that mean? And regarding our sins, it means he's forgiving. Forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And you just got to love the way that, that God piles up the terms here. He could have just said one word, but he said, no, I'll, I'll, I'll use three words for sin. And I, I think of how beautiful that is for us. You know, we, we just had the opening confession of our sins earlier. And maybe our, maybe our reaction is, oh, yeah, God, God forgives me for general sins. What about that sin? Or what about that sin? Or what about that sin? And the way that, Jesus, that God defines it here is that, hey, if, you, if you're guilty of wickedness, forgiven. If you're guilty of rebellion, forgiven. If you're guilty of sin, forgiven. If you're guilty of transgression, forgiven. If you're guilty of trans- trespasses, you're forgiven. If you're, if you're guilty of, of iniquities, you're forgiven. Forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. So, so that's the picture that God draws of himself. So now how would we draw it on the paper? If that's his picture. Well, I'll tell you what one, one person did. He said, you know, a way to think about this is to think of a vol- volcano. And so I, I watched a 1 minute and 18 second YouTube on how to draw a volcano. All right, so here we are. We're drawing our volcano. We've got our lava. And we got the all shooting out here. We got the smoke. All right, no judgment. <laughs> kind of looks like a water fountain or a flower. But um, one, the way the one guy worked it, he says, you take these five phrases of what God describes. You, you put at the top, here's his, his abounding love. That that's the lava that God says, I, I can't keep it in, right? He's got to erupt. And so that, that lava then just flows and flows and flows. It's limitless. And so he maintains his love for thousands. And if he maintains his love, well, that, that, what does that mean? Correspondingly, on this side, that means he's not going to erupt in anger. He's going to... Be slow to anger, because his love is always what's flowing down. 
And if he's slow to anger, it, it lets us know he has right to be angry, but he's going to have to treat, have a different attitude toward his sin, toward our sin, and so he's going to have compassion rule, or he's going to have grace rule toward sin. And if he's going to have grace and compassion toward our sin, well, what does that mean? Then it leads to forgiveness. And that's how one, one preacher put it. But I think there's an easier way, right, to do it. Couldn't we just do that? <laughs> no YouTube video needed. Right? If you're wondering, is, is Exodus 34 an accurate picture, a description of God that he gives 1,500 years before Jesus all you have to do is fast forward to where Jesus comes. And you're like, yeah, that's God. In the blood of Jesus, you see the description of God sealed. You see his, abound, his love abounding, right? And that he sent his son. You see that, that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, <laughs> maintaining love to thousands. You see a, a reason why God can be slow to anger with us because he unleashed all of his wrath on, on the cross of Jesus. You can see uh, in the person, in the blood of Jesus, God's compassion and his grace reaching out for us in our need. In the blood of Jesus, you see forgiveness of wickedness and rebellion and sin. In the, in the blood of Jesus, you see something that the whole church can be built on. In the blood of Jesus, you see what God wants in a church. He just wants this. He wants a church that really knows who God is and what God has done. And who God is, is the Lord. The Lord. The compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. That's your God. Amen.